0: Good morning, if you would join me in prayer before we get started. Holy Spirit, this morning we acknowledge that you are among us. And so we bow the knee and we say to you, move among us in power. Bend our will and desires to yours. We are yours. And so we give you... (laughs) by acknowledging not by an act of our power, but we acknowledge you have the authority and right to move among us and to teach us and instruct us, so we invite you to do so. Pray that you would overcome sorrow in our hearts and that you would cause our joy to increase. Give us eyes that are kingdom-centered and cause our hope in you to grow big. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning... We're going to wrap up Ephesians, but before I do, a couple things for you. Number one, Kendra Laney is here. Uh, Kendra's one of our own, and Kendra's going to be going over. um, This is recorded, so I'm not going to get specific, but Kendra's going to be going over to teach, actually, as a teacher in a school in a city where some of our partners work. And uh, and and she is going with a partner organization, and uh, while teaching, and that's a really cool thing. So Kendra is here. She's got some prayer cards. Thank you. Totally forgot. Um, and she's got some prayer cards and a letter. We want you. We're supporting her, but we want you to have an opportunity to do that as well. So we're going to quickly set up one of the tables for her in the back, and she's going to have some stuff. And her mom's here. And you guys make them feel welcome and uh, love on them. And Lord willing, we're going to be over there in October, and I'll tell you more about that in the coming weeks to 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 do some work with uh, our people group who are believers, and there's a church there, and, and minister to Kendra as well. And so you guys stop by and see, see her, and, uh, and see how you can continue to partner with her. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, because I've got a blog post that will go up tomorrow uh, on this issue. Probably a little surprising to you, and it's a little, this whole issue with the Supreme Court of the United States of America, and the, the uh, gay marriage issue, just very quickly, why I'm not really bothered by it, and why it's what I expected And the world acts like the world. And and, and so I'm going to be very careful here because I want to preach from the Bible. I want to preach on the Supreme Court of the United States of America. There's no power in that. And so the Bible, the Word of God, Spirit, there's power there. So I'm interested in what's powerful, not ranting. And so uh, just suffice it to say, we should not expect the world to act like the kingdom. America's not the kingdom. America's the world. She will fall in due time. The problem is, I think some folks have a tendency to worship America and think America is the last great bastion of the kingdom. She never has been. I'm sorry. Although some of our founding fathers were believers, this is not the kingdom. The kingdom has a king. And Isaiah, at the deepest, darkest moment of his life, when he thought they were most insecure because King Uzziah had died, in his morning he went to the temple and I saw the Lord sitting on the throne. The real king was still seated, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Listen, guys, this is good for us. The church has a tendency to retract in peacetime. Historically, the church doesn't do well in abundance and peace. But the church does well and advances in affliction and difficulty. So it could just be that Romans 8:28 is true, that this is good for us. It's good for us. So may we have eyes of the kingdom that see and ears that hear. May we respond in trusting that the Lord who causes dice to land hadn't caused the dice to miss land. The lot is cast in the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. We trust Him, don't we? So our hope can rise. And as this time comes, know your church is well prepared legally in writing, and in every way we need to be prepared, we're good, alright? And so, uh, the kingdom's still advancing. You believe that? Well, then let's turn our attention to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 21 to 24. Go read the blog post tomorrow. uh, Feel free to comment. Um, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 21 to 24. So that you may know... How I am, and how I'm doing, or what I'm doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ, with love incorruptible. You know, the introductions and the benedictions of the letters of the New Testament are very easy to look over in a mad rush to get to our favorite verses and our so-called life verses and our favorite passages. And they're, they're often read in haste and not paid attention to. But the reality is the introductions and the benedictions to the letters of the New Testament are absolutely loaded with beautiful theological, Godward, Christ-centric, kingdom-centric things. But when we slow down and we read them and pay attention to them, we can mine a wealth of spiritual nourishment from the benedictions and the introductions of the the introductions and the benedictions of the letters of the New Testament. Remember what Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture, including introductions and benedictions. All scripture, Leviticus even, right? It's breathed out. It is breathed out. If you have an NIV, it says inspired. That's a weak translation. The word literally is, is spirited. It is breathed out. All scriptures breathed out by God. Because I get inspired. I felt inspired to write a blog that I'll post. I'm inspired. Inspired is a weak word. Spirited. This word is a strong word. This idea of God speaking out his word is the image. All scriptures breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, meaning, Paul's benedictions are profitable for teaching. Leviticus is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We believe that here because we believe in the inerrancy of Scripture, which is one of the reasons we will never redefine marriage because we believe the Scriptures teach us what it is. Regardless of what the world does in the community of the kingdom, we obey God. So all the closings, of the letters of the New Testament, introductions, they're all inspired. So we don't want to come to the event, end of Ephesians and cut off the benediction and move on because it's not a life verse, right? Not very many people memorize introductions and benedictions, right? We got, you know, we take life verses out of context, right, and make them apply to what we want them to apply to, but God forbid, we memorize the closing, the postscript. But we're going to do that today. We're going to pay attention to what Paul says to this church at Ephesus, this young pastor, Timothy, who is there serving the Lord. Got three main points, and and there's eight pages here. And I'm going to do very, you think, how do you get eight, eight pages out of that? It's possible. A, I'm me, I'm wordy. Secondly, there's actually a lot here. And so let's take these three points and and uh and let's mine something out of this benediction. The next few weeks we're gonna be revisiting, I like to do this in the summertime, our culture, the DNA that drives our church. We're gonna talk about Kingdom Disciples Society Church, our vision. It's gonna kind of like membership class one oh one, but in here, but you know, preaching from the Bible and we're gonna Take our culture and make sure we continue to unpack it. And we're going to move into talking about evangelism and how we can serve the kingdom and preaching the gospel outside these four walls. And, and, and then we're going to move into 2 Timothy in the fall, finish up, and then we'll launch the new year with some other cool stuff. So that's kind of where we're going, roadmap. But we don't want to take this closing for granted. So, point number one be content, be content being a Tychicus. Be content. Being a Tychicus. Listen to what Paul says here. So that you also may know how I am. And what I am doing. Comma Tychicus. The beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord. Will tell you everything. Tychicus is mentioned five times. in the entire New Testament. Five times. Uh, Acts 24. Ephesians 6.21. Colossians four seven and 8. 2 Timothy 4.12. And Titus 3.12. And by the way. Be content being a Titicus. A, why does Mama just name him John? Like who named parents, don't name your kids strange things, man. Because somebody's got to read this later. Titicus. Like she had options, right? It's like John, Peter, Paul, something, but Tichicus. So be content being a Tichicus. Not his name, but let's unpack what that means. Titicus was a Thessalonian, meaning he was one of Paul's early disciples, earliest correspondence, we have the New Testaments, First 1 Thessalonians. And Paul had to leave, you read Acts, Paul had to read leave Thessalonica pretty quickly, got there, did some ministry, a great persecution arose, I had to get him out of the city, and so Paul writes back to finish his discipleship with them, because some have been confused, they're not quite sure, well I've got this relative who believed in the Lord, and they're dead, and I thought Jesus was coming real quick, so what, what about my dead relatives? And so he writes back to finish his instruction to them, which is why 1 Thessalonians ends with this great anthem about the coming of the Lord. Right? And so, and so he writes this earliest possible New Testament epistle back to finish some of his instruction with them. And Tychicus is from there, meaning he's one of his early disciples. And he appears in Acts at the end of Paul's work in Ephesus. So the reality is, what we learn from Acts 19, is Tychicus probably witnessed the silversmiths' riot against Paul that prompted them to leave for Macedonia in the first place. So Tychicus has been through a lot with the Apostle Paul. He's called a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant. When Paul decided to return to Jerusalem where he would be arrested, we learn from Acts chapter twenty, verse 4 that Tychicus was one of the folks accompanying Paul as one of his traveling companions and his helper. So when Paul was arrested, Tychicus, along with Luke stayed with Paul for his epic travels. Read Acts, right? His epic travels where he would stay in prison and be kept in prison falsely, on false pretenses so they could continue to question him. And Tychicus and Luke were there with him. He was on the ship that sank when they spent a day and a night in the sea. When they finally were allowed to get on land, he was with Paul when he was bit by a snake and didn't die because the Lord preserved him. he was with Paul in his house arrest in Rome. Tychicus was sent to Ephesus by Paul, thus helping us to date and locate the book of Ephesians, its dating and occasion, as right before Paul's death, and it's written from his imprisonment. Tychicus is often the runner of Paul's messages, and perhaps even his scribe. Tychicus is not what many of us would call successful, We're an exceptional talent. He's not a Paul, right? So what good is he? Wrong thinking. Paul calls him faithful. And he's a beloved brother and a faithful minister. Tychicus is faithful and he's obscure. But as the Lord said in his kingdom, the last are first. And the first are last. I'm not exactly sure how that's going to play out when the kingdom is fully established. But you can bet that Tychicus faithfulness is written down. And his treasure in the kingdom is his to inherit. And his background role will be fully rewarded. You see, no matter what role we are given from the Lord, our mindset would be just right if it were that of Tychicus. You see, I think often we have a tendency to adopt into our thinking world thinking... 1 John 2, 15-17, the lust of the flesh, the lust of our eyes and pride and possessions. And we somehow superimpose that onto God's kingdom. And we begin to think that significance is found in my being first. Significance is found with me being on top. Significance is found with me being known. Significance is found with me being a a Christian superstar, Christian rock star, whatever the case may be. When in fact in God's kingdom, that is not how the Lord taught us that we function. Tychicus, this guy's only mentioned five times, is called by Paul a beloved brother and faithful minister. Yet we rarely hear his name and we don't go do character studies on him, do we, right? Nobody writes books on Tychicus. But what we know and understand is because of how God's kingdom works, that this background role is rewarded. Jesus taught us, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust are not destroy, and thieves break in and steal. You see, so you can be a Christian rock star and fall morally and have zero great inheritance in the kingdom, whatever that's going to look like. But you can serve in the background quietly, faithfully, and you can be assured based on the Lord Jesus that there is reward. See, Tychicus left no writing that survives. He didn't do any feats that Luke records for us in Acts, but he was there. But his legacy of faithfulness is one that upholds kingdom work. A little thought here by Kent Hughes, and I got the footnote, and you're welcome to go look at the footnote and look at the the resource. Kent Hughes wrote this about Tychicus. For the loss of a nail... Lose a horseshoe. For the loss of a horseshoe, lose a horse. For the loss of a horse, lose a soldier. For the loss of a soldier, lose a battle. For the loss of a battle, lose a kingdom. You see, we might not read Tychicus' words, or we might not read anything he wrote, and we might not celebrate great feats done by the Lord through Tychicus' hand. But every time we read our Bibles, we should give thanks for the faithful background work of Tychicus and people like him in the kingdom. A couple points of application for you and I here. Number one, background work is essential in the kingdom, and it is highlighted as first in the kingdom. We have a tendency to think that what's most essential is that front role, or that whatever is perceived as being first. When in fact, in the kingdom, background work is all of our work. And there are no front roles. But the tichicus role of background work is essential in the kingdom and is highlighted as first because we learn in Ephesians, as we've just studied, there's one head, and it is Jesus. Background work is essential, and it's highlighted as being rewarded as first in the kingdom. Listen to these lyrics. Jeff actually played this song right before we started from Lecrae, and the name of his song is called Background. It's one of my favorite songs, uh, Lecrae, and I got the lyrics for you. you. Can go read them. It's evident you run the show, so let me back down. You take the leading role, and I'll play the background. I know I miss my cues. No, I forget my lines. I'm sticking to your script, and I'm reading all your signs. I don't need my name and lights. I don't need a starring role. Why gain the whole wide world if I'm just going to lose my soul? In my way, if my ways ain't pure and I live according to your word I can't endure this life without your wisdom being heard so word to every dancer for a pop star because we all play the background but mine's a rock star yes so if you need me I'll be stage right Pray, and the whole world starts embracing stage fright so let me fall back stop giving my suggestions because when I follow my obsessions I end up confessing that I'm not that impressive matter of fact I'm who I are a Trail of Stardust Leading to the Superstar. And he goes on. I could, I love this song. I'd rap it for you, but all my friends tell me I'm not as good as I think I am. It's pretty bad. So I'll just read it. I had a dream that I was captain of my soul. I was master of my fate. Lost control, and then I sank. So I don't want to take the lead, because I'm prone to make mistakes. All those folks who follow me have gone and up in the wrong place. So let me shat, let me just shadow you... Let me trace your lines. Matter of fact, just take my pen. Here, you create my rhymes. Because if I do this by myself, I'm scared that I'll succeed and no longer trust in you because I only trust in me. And see, that's how you end up headed to destruction. Paving a road to nowhere. Pour your life out for nothing. You pulled my card. I'm bluffing. You know what's in my hand. Me, I just roll and trust you. You cause the dice to land. I'm in control of nothing. Follow you at any cost. Some call it sovereign will. All I know is you're the boss. Man, I'm so at ease. I'm so content. I'll play the background like it's an instrument. You see, the reality is we're all background in Jesus' kingdom because we have one head, Jesus Christ. And we get in trouble when we think we're not background and we have some kind of starring role. This is so weird... Christian culture of stardom where we got stars and their podcasts are big and all y'all have them on your podcast because obviously they're the best preachers and, and those faithful those faithful men in smaller churches who stay there 30 years and die they're obviously not worthy because you know if they were their churches would grow right and so but those guys who you know big guys 10,000 member church those are the guys worth listening to right no as a matter of fact the whole concept of of mega and super stardom and christendom is gross Despite all that we see in those types of things, everything we read tells us that the evangelical church in the West is sliding backward, not moving forward. Where we see the church and the kingdom advancing is places where the church is persecuted. Pastors are the first to die. They're the ones who go to prison. They lead by dying first. And the church and the kingdom is exploding and growing. You see, comfort's not good for us. We start thinking we're the point. We start thinking we have something to say and people need to listen to me. And the reality is we're all expendable because there's one head, Jesus. And so what we must learn is be content with being a Tychicus. Be content that if no one ever knows our name, the goal is to be faithful to Jesus Christ. One of the things I love about George Mueller's story is the gentleman who introduced him to the doctrines of grace when he was sick and taking a vacation to try to get over being sick at Teemoth, mouth of the Thames River. Mueller mentions the man who introduced him to the doctrines of grace that would shape his ministry for the rest of his life. And he never calls his name. Nobody knows who this cat is, but he was the man God used to shape the rest of the life of George Mueller. You know Mueller's name. You don't know this man's name. But I promise you, Jesus knows. It's written down. And he will receive his reward in full. And it will be great. And so be content being a Tychicus. And second point of application, neither your work or mine in the Lord for the kingdom is ever irrelevant, no matter how obscure it is. You might not have realized it today, but somebody made you coffee. And you may not know who Patrick Bowers is, but that coffee was made by a faithful brother who shows up and does things when you never know they do them. Patrick, that work... I can't see you on my glasses. I don't know where he's sitting. It's not irrelevant, brother. The moving of chairs, the setting up, the working in radical kids, it's not irrelevant. It's written down. So be content being a tichicus, because the reward in heaven is great. Second thing we learn here, verse 21 and 22, is let's be a spiritual family rather than agenda-driven spiritual users. Be a family rather than agenda-driven spiritual users. Listen to this. Paul says, so that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing, so that you may know how we are, and so that he may encourage your hearts. These are phrases here that Paul is using. I'm sending Tychicus, and I'm sending him to you so that you know how I am, how I'm doing, how the work is progressing, how we are. You find that interesting? Paul's in prison. And he is penning a letter, sending it by this faithful brother in order that they might know how he's doing. He was concerned about the church knowing about their condition. I'm in prison. I'm less concerned with writing you a letter telling you how the work's going as much as I am. Can I get up out of here? Not Paul, I want you, my family, to know how I'm doing, how the work's progressing, and how we are. You see, Paul was sending Tychicus with this letter of instruction along with news on how the family was doing personally and how the work was progressing that they'd been sent to do. Paul spent a lot of time at Ephesus, perhaps the longest place he spent doing ministry. And these people were his family. So Paul wanted those he cared about and those who cared about him to be up to speed and encouraged in spite of his imprisonment. So he was concerned with them while in prison, while his beloved family was free. That's a different mindset, isn't it? That's a kingdom mindset. A world's mindset is, get me out of here. Kingdom mindset is, man, I'm in prison, but my fam's outside. How are they doing? They need to know how I am. The imprisoned one was concerned with those well and whole precisely because they are linked in kingdom and therefore soul. You know some of the most interesting comments I've read about decisions and things happening in our country are from brothers and sisters and other places going, man, how y'all doing in America? They're the ones being persecuted for the faith. I'm like, What's going on? How are y'all doing? I can't believe it. Isn't that crazy? It, it's flipped because here's the reality. Everything in the kingdom is opposite the kingdom of the world. It's just opposite. Jesus taught us that. It's in the manual. And so Paul in prison, like, how's my fam? Y'all need to know how I am. So I'm sending Tychicus so that you can know he's concerned about them. You see, what I'd like to do here for a few minutes is take a modification of a sheet that I was taught at Northwood where we're planted out of some thirteen years ago. And our relationship to Northwood Church and to Bob Roberts, who's been a spiritual father to many of us planters. We use this sheet here and it's got distinctions on it. We call it sons versus hirelings. Sons versus hirelings. Because there's some people who just want a job, they just want to lead. They just want to be in charge. But then there are sons who are products of the work. And it's a whole different mentality. And I want to take that sheet and I want to translate it into the life of the church. Because these are biblical principles pulled out of Scripture in regard to family and community. If one of the things we've discovered over the past five years as we studied through 1 John, as we've studied through our Bible, is that the community of the kingdom is our family. That the spiritual component of community life is thicker than blood. Blood relation is not thicker than spirit relation. Listen, you've got to get this into you. Jesus, sitting with his disciples and his family, his blood relatives, come and want to have a word with him outside. They won't even go in to speak to him. And Mark records this interaction for us. Because, Jesus, you're crazy. You think you're God, you've got this Messiah complex thing going on, and this isn't good. And Jesus looks around the table and said, Who are my mother and my brothers? And he pointed around the table to his disciples, and those people following him said, You are my mother and my brothers. is family is not blood. Family is those who share in the kingdom. Jesus said, I have not come to bring peace to the earth, but a sword. To divide son, father, mother, daughter, mother-in-law, father-in-law, son, daughter. Why? Because the kingdom divides family relations genetically. And it builds relations communally. Listen, guys, we are a family thicker than blood. So we don't want to be users, we want to be family. And so I'm going to take these biblical principles and translate them into family versus users. You see, the reason is that in the West, the church is inundated with people who shop the church for what they want or perceive that they need to the detriment of the whole. These are takers, not givers. These are irritated when things aren't perfect or aren't the way they like them. And then they uproot from every wind of change they don't like and they move on. These are some of the reasons the church in the West does not look like the kingdom. These make the church more of a spiritual Walmart than a community of the kingdom. And so Tychicus and Paul were obviously concerned with their family. And so that they would know how they are, they took the pains to get connected and stay connected to family. And I would say, let that be our mantra in community, that you are more vital than anything else because we're family. We have the same spiritual DNA. We have the same mission. We're on mission together. And so we are vital to each other. So here's some contrast between family and users. And my prayer is that this would be beneficial because I have a feeling every single one of us are products of the West. We all have a tendency to have a little user in us, to treat the church as though it's a spiritual Walmart, not the family and community of the kingdom. So let's look at these contrasts and see what the Spirit may do to root out being a user. It helps to be a family. First contrast, in the family, the family has success of the whole family as their own success, and the family is first. Family mentality says the success of the whole is better than my individual success, so I'm willing to lay down my success for the success of everyone else. In other words, you matter as much, if not more, than me, right? Jesus taught us this, did he not? Treat others the way they need to be treated. In other words, it takes effort to treat you the way you need to be treated. Likewise, it takes effort for you to treat me the way I need to be treated, meaning you need to know how I need to be treated in order to treat me that way, which takes work. Vice versa. And so we have the success of the whole over against the individual success. Users have their own ends and think in terms of their own wants, their own needs, and their own rights only. Give me mine. Supply this for me. Family. Uses the language of us, we, and our. Users use the language of me and mine. Family honors headship and taking care to make up for the weaknesses of others. Users take delight in highlighting the weaknesses and failures of others, particularly those they should honor. Looking for flaws. Family honors submission. User is always looking to redefine authority because they don't care about submission and they're selective about who they submit to. Family loves working together and getting along. They fight to get along. Not fighting to get along, but they work at getting along. The family doesn't have to focus on loyalty because it's built into the familial DNA. have the same mission. have the same culture. It's just what we are. Users have to look for people who will be loyal to them because they're really looking for position in order to get their agenda accomplished. They're looking for an advantage. The family's transparent, tells all, no secrets. Try that one at your next Radical Life group. Some of us guys are meeting, and we're going to be doing this in the fall. Your pastors are going to be going through this, and we're going to be inviting you men to go through this with us, Conquer Series. But we're just laying it out on the table because family, there are no secrets. These guys know more about me than many of you know about me. These guys know, they know it all. They know what my wife knows. Because family, there are no secrets. And here's the deal. The enemy uses things in the dark to accuse us. But when there's nothing in the dark, he can't accuse you that awesome. And it just makes sense, does it not? It just makes sense. But what do we do? Because of shame and because of the lie of the fall, we think we have to keep things covered up because we really don't believe that Jesus has covered that. So what do we do? We hide it, thinking I can hide it from them so they won't know how bad I am. When in fact, we just don't believe the fact that Jesus has covered me, redeemed me, is fixing me, and therefore there is no condemnation. So we can say, here's my deal, man. Here's all of me. Family tells all, transparent. Users share only what they want others to know in order to control the narrative, to make themselves look like something they're not. Family is ready for input, carry an open heart. Users carry offenses and look for opportunities to get even. The family, we care about all generations. And we want to share life with all generations. We care about the family as a whole. Users are self-focused and they care about only their calling and their ministry as opposed to the overall end of the family. And they care only about certain demographics that will help them achieve their agenda. Family seeks to get new and weaker people into the family for their own good so they can grow in strength. A user bonds new and weaker people to themselves so that they can have a following. Men, young men, spend time with older men. Find older men who are stronger than you. Bond yourself to them and grow. Don't pick on the weaker people so that you can get a following. The family focuses on the welfare of the family. Users are more concerned with appearances, numbers, events, and what the world calls success. The family's secure to accept change and uniqueness and healthy feedback. Users, change and uniqueness and healthy feedback offends and threatens their secure place. You see, at, at this little church, I don't know if you picked up on this or not, but we have a strong culture of family. And I don't mean like family units, like family friendly. Don't, don't hear family friendly because that, that can be an idol. Family friendly can be an idol. Some people worship their family over the kingdom and that's idolatry, that's sin. Here, family friendly. Here, we all family. There's this, this culture of mission and purpose and values. We are a family. We're a fellowship constructed on this vision of the glory of God, both local and global, by being and producing radical followers of Jesus Christ. It's our restatement of the metanarrative purpose of the Great Commission. And our culture of Kingdom Disciples Society Church. That vision and that culture creates a strong bond of family. One of the evidences of that strong bond in that culture is when truly committed three of people leave for whatever purpose, they move away, they have to take another job, they go to another town, they have trouble finding another place. And here's what they say to us. You've ruined me. I can't find that anywhere. They've been ruined for the ordinary. It's because this vision and this ethos are thick here. And it's a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's because we're a family, not a confederation of users. Users don't last long at Three Rivers Community Church. The culture roots them out. And you just don't know how good and healthy that is. So Three Rivers, be a family. Don't be a user who wants to take and pick and choose. Continue to be the family of Three Rivers that epitomizes the vision and the values of the kingdom. Be like Paul. Be like Tychicus. Concerned with others first. Third and finally, be a blessing with our words in the fellowship. Listen to verse 23 and 24. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Be a blessing with our words in the fellowship. Let me be clear. There's always a time when we need to bring the thunder with our words. When we're dealing with issues that break doctrinal orthodoxy, unrepentant sin, intentional hurting of others, subversion, using the tongue to curse rather than bless, gossip, etc., on and on and on, we can bring the thunder. Three Rivers people are good at doing that. You've been well trained. It's not always your pastors who have to do it. Sometimes we find out after the fact that you've done it, and that's awesome. That's you exercising your priesthood. But most of the time, at least in our fellowship, these things are needed less often. However, even when we do not have to righteously use harsh words, it's tempting inside the fellowship for all of us to use our words to hurt or subvert or accuse or condemn, sometimes in a passive-aggressive way. It's easy to use our words and even good intentions to put people down or lift ourselves up and our opinions above others. We must be careful with our words. Listen to the Lord Jesus here, Matthew 12, 33-37. Either make the tree good, and its fruit good, or make the tree bad, and its fruit bad, for every tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good? That's Jesus getting harsh, right? There's times to get harsh. But rightly, harsh is a blessing, and it's love. And Jesus is loving here. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you're evil? out of the abundance of the heart and the mouth speaks, the good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And every evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Do we believe that? For by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. That makes me afraid. Not... Not judgment for salvation. That's been taken care of. But my standing before Christ to receive reward or, dude, really, makes me afraid. No doubt there was times Paul brought correction. See the book of Galatians. By the way, Paul didn't even start Galatians with a nice little introduction. He's like, who bewitched you, morons? It's like, whoa, how about grace and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ? That'd be nice. No, morons. And boom, five chapters of beating No doubt Paul brought correction, but when Paul closes his letters to his loved people, he speaks blessings. Speaking blessing over each other is not playing magical fairy. Hear me carefully here. Speaking blessing is a way of pleading for the grace of God to be showered mightily in the lives of the people we're speaking blessing to. One can do this with the speaking of Scripture, Kind words, or perhaps even a prophetic word from the Spirit over each other. Proverbs 18.21 tells us that death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. You see, the Lord speaks with precision and care and sustaining purpose. Hebrews one to 3 reminds us that the Son is currently upholding the entire universe by the word of His power. What a beautiful picture. We saw in Ephesians, Jesus says, ascended to the heavenly places. He sits enthroned as the head of the church and He rules the heavenly places. We learn in Colossians that all things are created by Him and for Him, including principalities and powers and rulers and authorities in heavenly places. And Jesus has ascended and even now by His powerful Word that He speaks, He sustains gravity, trigonometric functions, mathematical equations. He is speaking precision into all of life. And because He does so, we being image bearers, redeemed from the fall by the powerful gospel, have been given a mandate to speak to one another in like fashion. Not as God, because we're not, we're creatures. But we're told to bless, not curse with our tongue. Right, James? Meaning we can speak the truth of God over each other and it can be a blessing or we can speak curses and we can kill. Every single one of us in this room probably has a list of the things that have been spoken to us by others that killed our soul. Can't we? You know the power of the tongue. And you know those things that just don't go away. And so Paul at the end of this letter doesn't go, Morons! All he does with the Galatians. They deserved it. They went back to circumcision and left the gospel. Morons. But for us in the fellowship and this, this family that we are, let's practice blessing each other. You see, the Lord has given us as image bearers this capacity to image forth what it means to be an image bearer. The fall wrecked this ability to an extent, but in Christ we have Holy Spirit in us, and we have the Word written to us, and we've been rescued from darkness and transferred to the kingdom of light. So therefore we can speak rightly to one another and know that although not infallible, our words can bless rather than curse. We know the power of a fitting word rightly placed, right? That encouraging word at just the right moment that causes you to... Proverbs twenty five eleven: a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. What a beautiful image. A word improperly spoken is like rotting pork in a setting of dung. Words of blessing are centered on the importance of others, not the exaltation of oneself. Words of not blessing are centered on the getting of one's way or justifying one's sinful or silly actions. And Paul ends this correspondence with his family in a word from the Father and the Son and a prayer and wish from himself for the family. Notice here in this passage that peace and love with faith are sent via Paul from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The only conclusion we can make here from this language is that God delights in delivering His words to us through the vehicle of fellowship in the kingdom. Don't miss that. The Father and the Son send this word to these people through the vehicle of Paul. Listen, guys. Speaking blessing to each other is a means by which God blesses His people through His people. Which is why the fellowship is essential. You hear me say this all the time. This is why you cannot be isolated from the church and have life in the gospel. God didn't make it that way. The Trinity is not divided. The Father, Son, and the Spirit are not divided. And we being image bearers inside the community of the kingdom are to imitate this in that there are times we speak on behalf of God to each other. We speak reminders of God's truth. We speak reminders of God's faithfulness. We bless one another with Scripture. We bless one another with kind words for the purpose of building up, not tearing down. You can't do that isolated from each other. And so God uses Paul to bless the Ephesians. And he has a word for them from the Father and the Son. And then obviously indwelling Holy Spirit will take delight in and affirm this as being the word from the Father and the Son. So we conclude that it's our pleasure to speak blessing from the Lord to each other. So what did the Lord have to say to the Ephesians from Paul? First, verse 23, peace, peace, peace. I got. I'm going to say something to you in a minute, and I've written it down. I'm just going to read it, but let's talk about them first. Peace. Remember, there was an Ephesian riot. Read Acts. All right. So obviously, God's not speaking external peace, but peace within. You see, Jesus promised that we would have difficulty in this world, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Right. He promised we would have difficulty without. But we're to take heart because Jesus has overcome this world system and His kingdom is coming with power. So our hope is that when it's storming on the outside, we don't have to act like it on the inside. There can be and there is this rest for the people of God that regardless of circumstance, we can sit back, take a deep breath and go, A lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Cease striving and know that I am God. And we know that in all things, God works together for the good of those who love Him and call according to His purpose. See, the mistake is that Jesus needs me. And so therefore I have to busy my hands making Jesus' work happen. When in fact, perhaps the greatest thing for me to sit back and know... That the king is sitting on the throne. There is a time, but we have to put our hand to the plow. But Paul is speaking to these people, Peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, outside, things are blowing up. On the inside, rest. Rest. Horatio Spafford penned these glorious words. You know them. Losing his family in the Chicago Fire. I'm sorry, losing his family to a... Sinking ship. He penned these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot. Thou hast taught me to say. Is well with my soul. Peace. Then the Lord says to the Ephesians. He says to us through Paul. Verse 22. Love with faith. Love with faith. Father and the Son communicate they love them and are sustaining their faith. This not-so-subtle reminder from the Father and the Son is huge. And I would argue serves to exhort the Ephesians to stay the course in love that issues from faith. To love people the way God does requires faith. That not giving retribution will be okay. You see, we know that the Lord reminded the Ephesians in Revelation chapter 2 that they had abandoned the love they had at first. So we can only conclude that their desire for doctrinal purity, which he says they've done a good job in, you've, you've maintained the truth, but this I have against you. You've left the love you had at first. So we can conclude that their desire for doctrinal purity had led them to be cold in the love department, which is exactly what happens for people like us. We love the truth, and we are good at maintaining the truth. Sometimes not so good in the love department. Just be honest. And so this reminder that the Lord loves them and He's sustaining their faith is a not-so-subtle reminder. Hey, Ephesians, as I love you and has sustained your faith, you love trusting that I'm able to keep you and I'm able to give the faith that you have to those people and awaken them to life. So Ephesians, love the way I love you. So He reminds them to love and that He has sustained their faith. Therefore, the Ephesians and TRCCians are to be reminded that we are to love and that we are to be sustained in the grace of God and that we are to love as we have been loved. Third and finally, grace. Paul issues his prayer wish for the people. Grace be with all who love the Lord Jesus with love incorruptible. Grace is the unmerited favor of God showered richly, whether common grace this is where we do systematic theology. In the fall, we're going to have Wednesday, we're going to do some Wednesday nights. Yeah, I'm excited. We're going to do regular church on Wednesday nights, you're welcome to come. We'll say more about that later. We're going to do systematic theology. I can't. I'm not teaching it here anymore, but I'm teaching it here. So we're going, we're going to do Grudem. Grudem's not Jesus because he's wrong in some places. His eschatology's all messed up. That's all right though. We'll, we'll get you to be an amillennial before it's over with. It's okay. We'll get you there. So we, we'll study this and we'll we'll go through these beautiful things. But this grace of God, and we'll talk about the grace of God, the common grace of God. Listen, God's even kind to unbelievers. Jesus tells us He causes the sun to rise on the believing and the unbelieving. He gives rain in its due season. Pagans can grow crops and eat because God is kind. So the grace of God, this unmerited favor that God richly pours down, even on the unregenerate or special grace, in new birth to salvation for His elect. Regardless, Paul desires that those who love Jesus taste the abundance of grace from the Father. No doubt this prayer is answered as immediately as the Ephesians hear the words of Paul in the letter. No doubt this prayer is answered for us as we're ministered to by the Spirit in the gathering of the saints. Father's grace is abundant and rich. His unmerited favor and kindness to us. Listen, I think the lie of the evil one is that God has to love you. doesn't have to like you. He kind of puts up with you. Listen, the unmerited favor of God is showered on us, not because we earn it, but because it is given to us in Christ and His blood is sufficient to cover all of our sins so that as we look to the Father and the Father looks down on us, He does not see my sin. He sees the righteousness of Christ. And not only does He love me, He's thinking likes me. Because He's not seeing my sin. This is the doctrine of justification. What Christ has done for you is made you not just forgiven, but justified. Forgiveness is half. Listen, we don't preach forgiveness. We preach justification. Jesus doesn't just forgive you, he doesn't just wipe the slate clean. He takes away your sin. Then he adds to you the perfection of Jesus so that the Father will only ever love you. Isn't that awesome? We're not only loved, we're liked. And and, and the Bible goes so far as to say we've now been adopted. He likes us so much, He has adopted us into His family and made us heirs. (laughs) Right? So in the Beatitudes, what? We inherit the earth. Father's grace is abundant and rich. With eyes to see and ears to hear, we can live in great hope that Father is providentially taking care of us just as he did the Ephesians. Listen, three years. I want to speak this blessing to you. And, and I thought about having you do something strange. So I am. Okay? I'm going to have you do something strange. This is kind of Southern Baptist and kind of not. This is going to be really weird. And I, I recognize it's going to make some of you very uncomfortable. So if you're uncomfortable, just ignore me. Okay? What I want you to do is I want you to close your Bibles and I want you to get quiet for a second. And if you need to, close your eyes, bow your head. I want, you, I want you to get in a place where you can hear. Part of the Western church's problem is we're so busy that our minds are constantly working. We can't slow down and hear. We don't have ears to ear because we don't want to hear. We're too busy, too busy. We've got to check our status on the Facebook and we get on the Twitter and we're more concerned about our status up on the interwebs and what people think about us, did they like my post? Ooh, twenty-five likes. Jesus loves me. Oh, no likes. Oh, gosh, people hate me. And we're just caught up in noise. And what don't you do is get quiet. Remember Elijah? The Lord was not in the fire, wasn't in the wind, wasn't in the earthquake. The Lord spoke in the sound of sheer silence. That's that's in the Bible, right? You remember that? No, we're gonna read the Old Testament. Yeah, it's there. So don't you get quiet. If you need to close your eyes, close your eyes. You need to look down, look down. You do what you need to do to get quiet. And I'm going to let it get quiet for just a moment. We don't like quiet, do we? I can't even shut up. But I'm going to let it get quiet. And then I'm going to speak a blessing to you. And I, my prayer is the Lord would give you ears to hear. Three Rivers Community Church, may peace be yours in abundance regardless of the external chaos that may abound. May you taste the love of the Father and sustain faithfulness to love as you have been loved. And may you have eyes to see the rich grace lavished on us as beloved children of God in Jesus Christ. Amen. I pray you have ears to hear and I pray that the Spirit has equipped you to receive that And may it produce peace in you. And you know how we end every sermon. Corporate worship is our fitting response. Psalm 147.1. Some of you guys are starting to memorize this verse, aren't you? You're like, I know that passage. Praise the Lord. For it is good to sing praises to our God. For it is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. Worship is the only fitting response to the grace of the Lord. In response to the fact that all things are being reconciled to King Jesus. Remember Ephesians? We've been studying. Because all things are being reconciled to the King. And the kingdom is advancing. We respond in worship. So Three Rivers Community Church, let's worship. It's the only fitting response that we have. And let me add this. As you sing in just a moment. If you so hear in your soul the Lord give you something for someone else, do not disobey by failing to go and speak it to them. May it be for upbuilding, not tearing down. May it be an apple of gold in a setting of silver, not rotting pork in a setting of dung. And you will know the difference. If the Lord gives you something for somebody, let's get crazy. Let's get wild and go say it to That they may be built up and be blessed. And it is a family, that culture just thickens. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for the book of Ephesians. And I thank you that um, you have granted us grace to be able to open your word and have eyes that see and ears that hear. I thank you for this, this radical body of Three Rivers Community Church that is truly, literally a church for 7 billion people. The influence you've given this body is absolutely astounding. And what you are doing through this body globally is even more astounding because it's you and it's not us. And so, Lord, we pray, we pray that you would take all that we've learned from Ephesians and that you would use it to grow us in the kingdom. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would rule your people now, that you would walk among the chairs. Holy Spirit, that you would speak and counsel and guide. I pray that you would give words for others to the body that we may minister to one another. I pray that you would hear our songs lifted to you as praise and that you would be, you would take joy in that. I pray, Father, that you would not let us in any way become conceited as though this were something we have done. But may we recognize this as a gift of your grace and may we steward it well. We pray this in Jesus' name for your glory and our joy.